Hey everyone, uh, Ed and Trier, I'm here, as always. Um, this is the podcast right after Robert Whitaker versus Calvin Gastelum, right before Jorge Masvidal and Kamaru Usman rematch on UFC 261. Uh, and we're also going to talk about the PFL card. So, Ed, how are you doing? I'm, I'm doing well. I'm a lot better than I was last week. Uh, thank you for soldiering on without me with, uh, with Tuman slash Iggy. Helping you out. I mean, I listened to most of it, but how how did that go overall? That was fun. It was a lot of fun. Solid. Um, Yeah, I mean, we also did the commentary with uh, Ben, and that was also a lot of fun because there was. Oh, true. Yeah, there's a ton of that I haven't listened to. Uh, Do you have anything good to say? I mean, other than plugging the Patreon, which has the video with uh, me and Ben talking about it, um, which you should subscribe to, only three dollars to view that. And five dollars to get questions on this podcast. Nothing. I know that was a great segue. Just the best one. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, it's definitely a little different. But uh, yeah, if you're looking for me, talking about Robert Whitaker, uh, because you missed me on the commentary. I, I had an article that came out uh, this week about uh, the takedowns from that fight, which is uh, pretty interesting. So check that out. It's on my Twitter page. It's on Bloody Elbow. It's a lot of places. And then I also, last week, did a resume review for Robert Whitaker. That's on Patreon. I looked at three of his fights. And uh, this week, for Patreon content, uh, I'm doing a resume review on uh, Kamar Usman, which will be out later today. Uh, If you're listening on Thursday morning, it'll be out Thursday afternoon, I think. Uh, So I watched three of his fights, including the Masvidal fight, uh, which should get me ready to talk about this upcoming one, which is nice. Um, but yeah, definitely stay, stay tuned in to, to Patreon. There's a lot happening, uh, this month and, and upcoming month. Uh, we did hit our goal of 200 patrons. That's a, a relief. <laughs> it felt like it wasn't going <laughs> to yeah. happen. We had a big setback, but we made it. Um, so thank you to everyone who helped make that happen. That, that's a big, big load off that we, that we could hit that that milestone um but of course i'll never be satisfied and there will be a new goal very soon i'm still thinking about it but i have a good idea i think that we'll clue you in on sometime soon uh but yeah we hit our goal so uh we started started publishing our, our top five ufc fights of all time articles the first fight uh came out on monday there's an article up on the fight site it's by Dan Albert, and it's about uh, Eddie Alvarez versus Justin Gaethje. And it's a really good article. Uh, has a lot of insight into both guys and the fight and how it went and why it's important and why it's good. A lot of a lot of stuff there, but that's not all. There will also be a commentary video up on Patreon uh, with uh, Dan Albert and Fanyo. And Fanyo like has I don't think he has ever had his voice featured. Yeah, I don't um, think he does the voiceovers. So. Yeah, on any content, so you'll hear him in his beautiful sexy accent yeah he's delightful um, so that'll be fun um but yeah those, those two uh, have, have good chemistry they're they're good friends so that'll be fun and then uh yeah the next one will be out uh, this upcoming monday and then there will be a video sometime later in the week and we'll just keep doing it like that and uh, at the end of five weeks we'll have all five articles and their uh commentary videos out with them so stay tuned for that and we'll probably do some other sort of top five thing next um but yeah that, that that's fun and exciting and uh yeah we're, we're doing doing some cool stuff these days uh so keep uh, your content requests coming in use use the form on patreon if you're a ten dollar subscriber or up you have the right to to content so definitely use that form and, and request stuff uh because it, it helps us make things it's just not everyone 
is always working on anything, but then when you make a request, they say, oh, only so-and-so could do this. You have to do it, or you're fired. And yeah, that's how it goes. Busy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. What, what do you want to talk about today? Uh, I mean, probably the most important thing is uh, last week's event, or not, maybe not even the event, the main event was... Um, okay, well, first of all, I should probably clarify which event, because there were two fairly big ones. Uh, Jake Paul knocked out Ben Askren, which I don't think we care about, but many people Who saw did. that coming? Yeah, I was incredibly not shocked. Me. I think Zach Makovsky did, but he's yes. very smart. Uh, <laughs> but nothing to say about that other than Jake Paul knocked Ben Askren out, which I already said. All right, B. Yeah, the important thing was Robert Whitaker defeated Calvin Gastelum uh, in a really fun fight, but mostly fun because it's really fun to watch Robert Whitaker do his thing. Uh, so, Ed, first of all, did you get a chance to watch the fight? I did. I did watch the fight. It's the only fight from that card I've seen, so there you go. Nice. Uh, yeah, I don't know if anything else particularly cool happened on the undercard. Uh, Gerald Mearshart got a submission, but it was... Uh, ben Cohn did a nice thread on that, so you should go check that out. But... Yeah, that f- it was pretty much a one-fight card, and Robert Whitaker delivered. So what sort of dynamics did you see that you expected from um, Whitaker and Gastelum? Well, Kelvin Gastelum is pretty easy to predict, you know, what he's going to do in a fight. Yeah. And uh, coming into the fight, my thoughts were that, you know, Julian even said in his video, kind of a layup matchup just because he's better. Whitaker is better than Gastelum at everything, right? There's <laughs> not really any, any one yeah, pretty much. area you can point to. Where he's better um but there's still danger in it because you know rob you know he, he gets hit sometimes uh, his defense isn't perfect you know like any man and uh calvin <laughs> gaslam's got power and he's got speed and he's got pop in his hands and he, he's very consistent with with trying to land uh one twos and one uh depending on what you call a hook a, a four or five um <laughs> but, but you know, his one and rear hook um he, he's very consistent with going going with those combinations and spamming two or three punches and eventually, if he hits you with them, there could be a problem. Uh, so I, I was worried coming into it, like, oh, no, is he going to be winning the fight until he loses it? Or, or what's going to happen here? Uh, does he have to be, like, perfect and not get hit at all? Because, you know, after someone gets knocked out um, or, like, knocked down in multiple multiple times in, in back-to-back fights, like uh, the Romero rematch, he got knocked around the cage. You know, Izzy knocked him down twice before he finished him. And it's like, okay. Is Robert Whitaker still going to have a chin when he comes back from all this? And it, it was kind of shaky when he first came back, right? Uh, it was the Darren Till fight was his first time fighting after yeah. the Izzy knockout. And he got dropped, uh, was it the elbow? Yeah, he walked. I don't think it was a thing where like his chin looked bad necessarily. Yeah, he's got hit real hard. Yeah, it was a um, big connection. So, it's you know, he's getting dropped. He got hurt by Cannoneer as well. So you're like, okay, like is this something where you know his chin's on shaky ground like i didn't think he was shot physically at all necessarily just like your durability has its limits but it's, it's hard to predict when that's going to go um so you know i'm, I'm always like waiting for the one that's going to be like oh you know man, he probably would have taken that normally but it's over but uh you know in this when the when the fight played out uh i think early on kelvin did actually find a home for that rear hand a little bit and whitaker adjusted really quickly um, uh, yeah. I, I feel like the first thing he did uh, was just, you know, take up a high guard when he threw on him because that, that dealt with it entirely and Kelvin didn't really have any follow-up answers to it. And, uh, you know, that was when he, like, couldn't stop him from throwing. But typically he was doing a really good job controlling the exchanges with his jab, intercepting his entries with his jab and those simultaneous counters, uh, and also counter-jabbing with him, but, like, uh, you know, slipping inside on that. So 
his jabs looked really good. That that seemed to be the, like the main thing that uh, that changed that dynamic of Kelvin getting to attack versus Rob getting to do what he wanted, right? Yeah, I agree. I think uh, Whitaker's intercepting jab was pretty much on point the entire fight. It's kind of weird because it's like Whitaker's such a setup-oriented fighter that you'd kind of expect him to take a little bit to like get going, if that makes sense. But he's been finding big counters on all three of the last guys he's faced, which is relatively it's odd and in a really good way um i think the other thing is as you mentioned how greatly uh, whitaker dealt with gaslam's rear hand where he you know catch it on the glove pretty often start angling away i think the small cage kind of messed with his ring craft a little bit he looked somewhat uncomfortable early in the fight because you know both the till and the cannoneer fight were on fight island so he had all the real estate and he's been fighting a lot of his fights on the back foot uh, and gaslam pushed him onto the back foot more aggressively than either of those two did i think but other than that, I think Whitaker looked really clean for the vast majority of the fight. I really liked how... Uh, so, one thing that's weird with Kelvin is that a lot of his edge in exchanges is just is pure mechanics, uh, where, you know, he's really quick and he can throw a rear hand fairly tightly, same with his jab and his lead hook. But mm -hmm. in a lot of cases, he sort of falls in behind it. And that's why uh, Adesanya killed him with the right-hand counter on the backstab, where he sort of um, angle off as Gaston threw the rear hand wait for him to just get really squared up and off balance and just blast him with the rear hand. He, that's pretty much the thing that he did the whole fight. He got the second round knockdown with it. And Whitaker took advantage of it in a different way, where he'd start jabbing on the resets as Gaslam threw the rear hand and was squared up in front of him. He started uppercutting him, which was really nice. He hit a lead leg head kick off the um, off Gaslam's rear hand, which was... Um, mm -hmm. There were a lot of really slick looks from Whitaker in this fight, and he was navigating danger really, really well. And I think that's just a weird thing with Whitaker, is that he fights, you know... For all the stuff that we say about, you know, low lead hand doesn't necessarily mean bad defense and right. floating around the outside doesn't necessarily mean it's it's still very nerve wracking to see someone fight like that so consistently. And the fact that he's doing it while maintaining such a high level of uh, defensive responsibility, it's really impressive. And uh, I don't know if it means anything going forward to Adesanya because Gaslam's, as we know, a very different fighter. Uh, but there were some looks here that you mentioned in your article especially that uh, would bode well yeah yeah that low lead hand was also a big part of the way he was able to wrestle uh with kelvin gaslam because kelvin you know entries were so reliable basically whenever uh kelvin punched himself in the pocket uh would have an opportunity to use that lead hand and bump forward with his shoulder and underhook and he was doing a really good job squaring up his hips to to lock on for the the body lock and uh, hit really nice, like, foot block outside trips, uh, sweeps uh, from double unders, which were really nice. Hit that twice, and he also got a, uh, ran the pipe on a snatch single in the open, and that was uh, built off of his head movement. So uh, just good, good uh, reactive wrestling built off of his defense in that fight. And Kelvin's, uh, you know, just was not ready for it at all. <laughs> he did not have any good defensive reactions as a wrestler, uh, which is also in the article. But, yeah, with regard to the Izzy fight, it's interesting because you know, I already felt that he could do a better job. Just as, as soon as the fight was over, I'm like, he could do, he can do better than that. Because, yeah. um, <laughs> I mean, he, I, I totally understand why he fought Izzy the way that he did. Um, I think a little frantic, a little nervous, because he feared being kicked up on the outside and, you know, getting, you know, built up on and, and tricked with counters and feints and, and things like that. Um, so I think just maybe the the mystique, the aura got to him a little bit. You know what I mean? How yeah. you know same same thing that Khabib changes people a little bit. It's like oh he's the best striker in the UFC. Oh he's the best wrestler and grappler in the UFC. 
uh, I got to do something really special and different. So just kind of being yourself and doing normal stuff. Um, so he was really like, spazzing out on those entries, like really trying to push the issue. And I think that part of it was also that he'd seen, you know, Izzy get hit in that lean back defense, getting a little, a little um, too married to the idea of hitting those back step encounters, uh, and wanted to, you know, pull that out of him and try to exploit it. But he did, he did get him to do that, and he didn't exploit it. Uh, I think the best thing he could have done is hit his body, and I just think he thought that he was closing fast enough that he could reach him, and he just really, really wanted to try to reach him uh, leaning back, and that's why he kept running himself into trouble. He just could not, couldn't, wouldn't give up extending the exchanges, and that was the main issue that I saw, uh, just, you know, conceptually, despite all, all the other details there might be. Um, so, yeah, the, the most easy thing to do is fight more like yourself and build off your jab and have shorter exchanges and just, you know, set your combinations and just try, try to have a a more typical fight with him and see what happens before you start getting desperate. Uh, he fought with desperation pretty much instantly. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, with this fight, you, you saw a little bit more of him. Um, he, he definitely looks comfortable, uh, you, know, you know, fought in both directions. I uh, got, got to show a few different looks there. And it's interesting because there are things that he did in that fight that Jan Blahovich had success with against Izzy. Uh, like the counter jabbing and you know the reactive clinch entries and uh, that might be it. But <laughs> uh, it, it, the thing is that, and you can definitely expand on this. One one of the most important things that allowed that fight to happen that way uh, for Jan against Izzy was his defense uh, and the way that he was making it difficult uh, for Izzy to to sit back and play the game he likes to. So, do you foresee Rob offering Izzy enough? answers enough things to worry about that he can get him leading with his hands to create those types of situations uh i think it's definitely trickier so i generally consider whitaker a better defensive fighter than yan and it's not particularly close but when it comes to kicks i think yan is a bit more responsible uh in that well first of all the bladed stance of whitaker kind of leaves him in uh kind of an issue for strong outside low kickers because it you know knocks him out of stance and it's hard to turn your shin easily when you're facing the other way. So mm -hmm. that's one issue with uh, dealing with Adesanya's kicks. The other is Jan Blachowicz. Well, it's the size. That's a big one that people brought up with Jan Blachowicz. But uh, Adesanya couldn't really kick for free without really being in Jan's punching range at all, which Whitaker has done some work countering kicks recently, but it's not been particularly consistent, and a lot of the defense just been checking. Um, I think someone who plays their kicks off each other the way uh, Adesanya does it's going to be a lot trickier for Whitaker to defend those kicks, and if he can't, then Adesanya just doesn't need to get near him, right? Um, Whitaker's win condition here is pocket boxing, and even in the first fight, we did see Whitaker have some success on the counter. We saw him counter jabbing uh, from the beginning of the second round, I think. Entering with the jab worked out pretty well for him when he committed to staying in stance and entering. The issue, I mentioned this in the, uh, the pre-fight podcast for this fight, is that Whitaker mm -hmm. tends to prefer his ins and outs to be fairly snappy, and... That's obviously true with any in-out fighter. But with Whitaker, what that means is that if he can't get in quickly, he tries to make every in matter as much as it possibly can. So when Israel Adesanya was denying his punch entries as effectively as he was, uh, you know, angling off as soon as Whitaker entered, at any time Whitaker was in anywhere near a position to start punching, he started punching, and he kept punching. And that's kind of where the finish came about, right? That he was facing the wrong way, pretty much, where Adesanya mm -hmm. angled around and uh, he was pretty much squared up next to Adesanya, and instead of exiting the exchange, he just 
uh, started hooking with him in a really bad position to be hooking with someone like Adesanya. And I don't know if he can take that away because, again, as you mentioned, he's going to need Adesanya to be the one who enters. And Adesanya is not the best at doing that against really strong counterpunchers. But if Adesanya doesn't need to, he can just play his kicks off his punch entries the way that he did against like Derek Brunson, for instance. It's a really tricky fight for Whitaker to look good in. And I think it's kind of worse because uh, a lot of people have mentioned Whitaker's wrestling going into... Um, they're going out of the Gastelum fight. I think while normally Whitaker's wrestling flowing so nicely from his punches is a good thing, against someone who's going to deny his punch entries the way that Adesanya can, it's going to be tricky. Like we saw the um, the high crotch that he hit on uh, Gastelum at the end of the fight. That flowed right off that counter right hand, right? Where he slipped outside the jab of Gastelum several times in the fight and he showed the right hand before ducking down for the takedown. And... Adesanya's not going to give him those sorts of opportunities, and if Whitaker's losing the striking, I don't know if he's going to get the same kind of... Uh, and Like, we haven't seen Whitaker cover distance or pressure behind takedowns, right? And that's the kind of thing that I think he might need to beat Adesanya if the striking's not working. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's not going to be like drawing out the rear hand of Gastelum and body locking him the way that he did. Uh, it's going to be something a little bit less based in transitions, and I'm not sure that he's going to be able to set his wrestling up the same way. Yeah, I think what it could end up being is that you know he he does get those types of situations going. He is is able to get to the legs, but uh, Izzy's pretty good uh, in those types of situations uh, with his wrestling defense. Like if you're not like already in on the shot, uh, and you're standing, it's not super super deep, and you're not really putting him down right away or working to put him down right away. He can recover from that. He's a good hand fighter, good grip fighter. Uh, he'll he'll get out of there. But uh, you saw against uh, Till a little bit, uh, Whitaker was using those situations to set up you know, punches off the break and strikes off the break. So this could be a nice little way to score. Um, or, you know, you could drive him back to the cage, something like that, try to get a grappling position going. There's, there's a few things you could do there. But, uh, yeah, Jan, Jan was getting those intercepting body locks too. But, again, it, it's when Izzy was really pressured to lead because of the success that Jan was having in space and pushing him back. So it's just a really different fight. And it's hard to predict. And you kind of need to expect some things from Whitaker that we just can't be confident about like you know his kick defense being really good and just asking him to emulate Jan Blahovic is, is a little much because they're they're very different fighters yeah I mean it's the kind of thing where Whitaker has been taking kicks away from fighters as the fight goes on uh, we saw like you know Cannonier kind of kick with impunity early in the fight before Whitaker started just like jabbing through them and taking advantage of the fact that Cannonier didn't really have any follow-up to it uh, against Gaston was countering kicks right away but that's not really if that's not the way Izzy kicks if that makes sense yeah. Um, if Whitaker starts eating kicks early against Adesanya, it's going to be tricky, and I don't think Adesanya's going to give him the license to start you know, building off um, Adesanya's kicking game because he's not a particularly predictable kicker. Uh, yeah. He's very sharp mechanically. He's very tough to stop from kicking. Um, I think if there's some hope, it's probably that Whitaker started playing the, uh, the head kick entry off the body kick later in the Gastelum fight um, because, as you mentioned, the lean back is probably a good place for Whitaker to start attacking Adesanya, uh, to start drawing it out, and instead of kicking him in the head, kicking him in the body, and the legs. It's just not something that we've seen Whitaker build a game off. It's just, you know, once Gaslam started blocking the head kick, uh, Whitaker kept drawing the head kicks to damage the arms, but uh, started kicking the body and the legs as well. It's, I don't know how well Whitaker's kicking game works when he can't get the punch entries, and I think the way that Whitaker's game works is he really needs... Um, to get his fight to start building off it in like those really creative, sharp ways. Um, I'm hoping Whitaker can find a way. Like there were, 
contrary to the way people saw the fight, I think there was enough to say Whitaker can give Adesanya a tough fight in a rematch. Uh, in contrast to a fight like Kelvin Gastelum, where like he just got completely figured out by the end of the fight. You know, like, mm-hmm. oh, what can Gastelum do after this to surprise Izzy at all? And the answer was obviously nothing. With Robert Whitaker, there are a ton of things that he didn't really get the opportunity to show, which he kind of just needed um, a couple smarter tools to get in and show. It's just I don't know whether he has those. Yeah. I don't know. We'll, uh, we'll ponder this more if and when they make the fight. Yeah, it's probably like Vittori next, so who Yeah, <laughs> we'll see, we'll see. Uh, does anyone else on this main card impress you? Uh, let's take a look. I did not get to see these fights. Yeah, I know Jacob Malkoon got a win over Abdurazak Al-Hassan. I don't know whether it was particularly impressive, just because I don't know... I heard know. he wrestled him. Yeah, I don't know whether Al-Hassan is good at wrestling. I don't think he is. And uh, he's, uh, he's Judo Thunder. Uh, yeah, I mean, the way that he's looked deeper into a fight, it kind of suggests that if Malcolm survived a round, he'd be able to just do whatever he wanted after that point. Mm. So that's something. But, uh, yeah, I mean, that was a pretty decent upset from what I remember. So good on him. Sure. He's one of Whitaker's teammates, apparently. Uh, he got yeah. killed by Phil Hawes in his last fight, so tough, but got the win here. Uh, Arlovsky did his old man Arlovsky thing, which is Did he use fine. both hands to punch? I believe he did. <laughs> But most of it was just Chase Sherman, like, pressuring reasonably hard, getting kicked a lot, and Arlovsky being able to buy space whenever he wanted by just blitzing away. Um, I see. Yeah, just Chase Sherman had a good first round, I think, and then just stopped being able to do things. Uh, Romanov Espino ended in the best way possible, technical decision via dick kick, um, or dick knee. Uh, yeah. Mirshar Fabinski. Fabinski did his usual thing where he just comes out really hot, uh, got caught in a guillotine by Mearshark and choked out, so that was fun. Um, not a ton. This was a pretty light card on paper, and it ended up a pretty light card in reality. Mm-hmm. Uh, I heard that uh, Alexander Munoz versus Luis Pena was a robbery. Was it? I saw a lot of people scoring it for Pena. I don't really watch Luis Pena fights anymore because they annoy me. Um, <laughs> yeah, Luis Pena is just, he's a he's kind of like a, a more durable James Vick in terms of defense, where like, Everything he does is based on being way huger than anyone he fights, mm-hmm. uh, which is I think after his first loss he dropped down a weight class, which is just Crazy. grotesque. Yeah, that that should not like dudes. He's so tall for his weight and he's still not very good. So uh, even going to a split decision with a guy like Munoz, who's pretty much a pure wrestler, and I think most of that fight happened on the feet. It's a decently bad look. Fun. So that card was a thing. <laughs> uh, on Friday, PFL is back, the new PFL season. Uh, I think it's, uh, I don't know if they're doing a bunch of different tournaments, but they're at least doing lightweight and featherweight, and they're doing lightweight and featherweight on this uh, first card, and it's pretty sick. Um, don't let the bout order fool you about the card strength, but I think it's not really structured <laughs> in the traditional way of like the most interesting fight being at the top. Uh, and they also have every fight listed as three five-minute rounds, I don't think that's true. Um, they tend to have two-rounders in the, in the early parts of their tournament, but I'm not 100% sure about it. Um, have you heard anything about that? I haven't. I know that they do do two-rounders, because that's why I was so worried about Alexei Kunchenko going there. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, that's the thing. I, don't, I think early in the tournament, that's what they do. Well, let's just assume it's two-rounders, but if it's three, whatever. Um, but, well, I mean, uh, if it's yeah, two rounds, Shaman Marais is in good shape. Yeah, almost every fighter... Almost every fight on this card has at least one interesting person uh, on it. 
if you go bottom bottom to top uh rajabov uh from tajikistan he has been giving people tough fights he uh, he fought shulti and rashid Magomedov, but he also beat like chris wade who was, who's was okay um and that might be his only other win uh, that, that that has a name on it but i just remember him looking kind of tough um and being a wrestler so that that's something and uh someone else that I noticed is uh, Tyler Diamond. Uh, his only loss officially is, is to Bryce Mitchell by a majority decision in his UFC debut, and then they didn't bring him back. But I watched his Ultimate Fighter season. I thought he was pretty well developed for uh, the kind of prospect he was. Um, had only been fighting a couple of years pro when, when he did that. Um, and he wrestled a D1 in North Dakota State. He's a team alpha male guy. So um, I just expect things from him, and I think he'll do well in a in tournament format. And he's fighting a Korean guy, and I mean, <laughs> they are unpredictable, for sure. Very true. The guy's name is, oh, it's Korean Falcon. Wow, his belts are so cool. I'm looking at his <laughs> topology page, he's, he's cool. Oh, he lost to Daniel Tamer, never mind, he's terrible. Oh, yeah, that's bad. He must be awful. Okay, <laughs> so, that's good. Uh, Chris Wade, I, yeah, I said he was decent. I don't really think any strong feelings about him, do you? <laughs> yeah, I don't. I've watched, like, one of his fights. I don't remember which one. But. He beat Ahmed Ali, who I thought was kind of good, so maybe there's something to that. But I think That's... he's just, like, decently well-rounded and knows how to how to MMA. Oh, yeah, it might have been the Kabbalah fight, which means that I don't really have any opinions on him because mm-hmm. Rustam does those things. Yeah, he, he got wrestled by some Russians in the past, uh, and he lost to Schulte twice. But, I mean, he took Schulte to a split decision, so I think he's just generally competent and, and uh, competitive. So that's cool. Uh, Ahmed Ali was fighting, like I said. I, I, I'm not... I'm going to have a lot better opinions on these people after this college. I'm going to pay attention. Um, Haush Manfio is fighting. He was a guy that I thought was going to be in the UFC, uh, but then I believe he uh, he lost whatever fight on, in Titan FC was going to get him there uh, to Matt Frivola, and then they signed Matt Frivola. Uh, but yeah, he, he's been around for a while, but he's been dropping, dropping fights to people, and I just don't think it's going to happen. So I'm not sure if he's good or not anymore, but I've heard of him. And that brings us to the people's main event, which is uh, Brennan Lachman versus uh, Shaman Marais. Yep. Uh, Lachman, I think he beat, what, Bill Algeo, was it? Uh, on Maybe. Contender Series? Was he beat someone on Contender Series. But, um, yeah, he didn't yeah, get he signed. Yeah, he beat Bill Algeo. That's, that's a good win. Yeah, I mean, Algeo looked pretty solid against I remember because after the um, Algeo Lamas fight, Lofnan was like pretty mad just because uh, Algeo had a good showing, and mm-hmm. Lofnan didn't get signed after beating Algeo a little bit more comfortably than Old Lamas did. But um, yeah, he's pretty solid. Shaman Marais is why this is the people's main event. He's really, really good for a couple rounds. Uh, Sometimes. <laughs> for a couple rounds, intermittently. He's, I call him Muay Thai Michael Johnson because there are like several non consecutive minutes where he looks like an elite fighter, and then he just always, and not always, often ends up losing anyway. Um, he was beating Shane Mar- oh, not he was beating he was beating Sadiq Yusuf for a good bit. Uh, he got killed by Andre Feely, but you know that's uh, that just sucked. But he's a really fun counterpuncher. He's really great in the clinch where he does like some actual Muay Thai stuff. Uh, does the long clinch a lot where he like pinches their head in between his yeah, he's, arms. Yeah, uh, he's fought in stadiums. Like he's had like fights against legit people in Muay Thai. Yeah, I really enjoyed his fight against uh, Matt Sales because Sales looked like a pretty solid striker, you know, body punchy, pressury, and uh, Marais. Well, the commentary for that fight was absolutely awful. Yeah, they didn't count anything that Shaman landed. Yeah, I mean, Shaman <laughs> <laughs> killed his body uh, later in the fight. Really tore him up in the clinch. The Arce fight was brilliant. Uh, where I mean, Marais does 
consistently have a tendency to fade in the third round, even outside of bad decisions, uh, where, you know, he, um, against Arce, Arce was able to pick up the third round just based on effort, but Moraes beat him up in the clinch with elbows, uh, did a lot of nice counter-punching things early in the fight before Arce could really build off, in it, build off his entries. He's super powerful. He's, he's just really good. And mm-hmm. um, whether he wins or loses, it's probably a fight worth watching. Yeah, yeah, he, uh, he tends to Cody Garbrandt himself sometimes. Yeah, that's the other Marais finish, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he, he just spamming <laughs> just really wide hooks in the pocket. And, like, you are capable of being so much better than that. I don't want you to do that. But once he starts to get tired, he starts to, uh, you know, try to force power on his strikes a little bit more and get sloppy. Um, but when he's chilling, he, he looks really, really smooth. Um, and I, I like him. I just like him generally. And he, he's so gorgeous. He's that's also true. Um, yeah. Uh, so that's going to be a great fight for strikers. And after that is a great fight for wrestlers. It's uh, Lance Palmer versus Bubba Jenkins. I talked about this on the Wrestling for MMA podcast. These guys have a history. Uh, been wrestling each other, wrestling each other their whole lives. Uh, wrestled a few times in college. I think Lance Palmer uh, beat him. I want to say Lance Palmer beat him uh, whenever they wrestled in college, but I'm not 100% sure about that. I, I said it right the first time when I <laughs> talked about it in the podcast, but I don't remember. But at this point, Palmer's definitely like, should be the favorite uh, with regard to MMA. He's had a better MMA career. Um, funny that they both have lost to uh, Georgie Karahanian. Um, <laughs> Georgie Karahanian, just the wrestler killer. Um, but yeah, uh, what, what was the last time you? When was the last time you watched Lance Palmer? Did you watch any of his recent fights? I haven't seen any of Palmer's recent fights. I did watch um, Jenkins's fight with Ali Bagoff because that's a mm-hmm. fun showing from Bagoff. Um, but. Yeah, I'm not super familiar with Palmer. I've heard there are people who don't like him very much, because uh, yeah. he's he's not particularly. He doesn't have one you know, area of strength that leads to anything exciting. Um, but he he's very solid, super super strong. Um, his, his his striking has gotten to the point where he can, hang, on the feet and and get to his his wrestling situations. And he's got a good ground game, good top game, good ground and pound. Just you know. Basically, that's how he beats everybody. Is he takes him down, he, he beats him up on the ground. Um, it's not not too much of an issue for him. But he he's got some nice wins on his record. I like Andre Harrison's a really good one. Uh, I think uh, Bekulat Magomedov is a pretty impressive win. Uh, uh, I don't yeah, know about like his Alex Gilpin character, but he keeps making the finals to fight him, so that, he must be <laughs> decent. <laughs> uh, he you also know. has a win over party leader Fred Pai in 2012. <laughs> is that his nickname? Uh, but yeah, he's fighting Bubba Jenkins. Bubba Jenkins, uh, well, first of all, Lance Palmer was a four-time All-American in college. Uh, didn't become a national champion because there was a, a guy in his way every time, uh, Brent Metcalf. But just to give you some context, he was uh, fourth place as a true freshman his first year in college. He placed fourth. So usually when you start off that strong, you're like, oh, this guy's definitely going to win a title in the future. But he did not. Uh, and then Bubba Jenkins was someone who like wasn't that good when he first got to college and then got really good at Penn State. And he ended up winning a national title his senior year for Arizona State. It was a whole story there. Uh, but he's a guy that everyone's like, oh, my God, this guy's so freaky talented. He just needed the, you know, the right coaching and, and just a little more time to develop, and he's going to be so amazing. And when he started doing MMA, everyone's like, yeah, like, for sure. Like, this is, this is where he belongs because um, he has, like, a kind of like a chip on his shoulder. He has an attitude. Um, but then he got upset in Bellator uh, two years into his career, and pe- I think people just kind of forgot about him. <laughs> he kept fighting, and but you know he took. Then he, every time he started to build up momentum, he took a loss, uh, and twice it was to Georgie Karahanian. 
and then there was the Bogov fight. But he's on a win streak now, so he's due. He's due for another loss. Um, but no, I, I think he's turned into a decently solid fighter. Uh, the Bogov fight, I think, is a decent account of him. That he does take Bogov down uh, early in the round and, and tries to top game him, but you know Bogov's actually pretty annoying off his back and uh, gave him a, a rough time. And then he took him down in the second round and, and dominated him from from there on. But uh, he's decent, man. He's decent. He's not he's not too bad. I think he does a lot of coaching uh, for wrestling uh, with MMA fighters. And I don't know. I think uh, I think Palmer's probably going to beat him. I don't think he has too much to offer. But if it's a two rounder, it could be that could be kind of interesting. Yeah, I mean, I'll probably watch the whole card, but this should be fun. Yeah. Um, I've seen Movely Kaibalayev once, uh, the knockout. The 10-second flying yeah. knee. <laughs> that, that, that looked pretty cool, but you also can't really take anything from his game off of. Um, does he, has he faced anyone else particularly good? Movely? Yeah. Um, well, yeah, it was uh, Jackson that he knocked out. And anyone else? I, he fought Herbert Burns, who's in the UFC now. Yeah, he's, I wouldn't him. consider him particularly good. He's decent. <laughs> uh, just some, some Russian fellows who I don't totally recognize. So, uh, these guys don't... It's it's impossible to know, just looking That's at their true. records, if they're good or not. You'd have to actually watch the fights. Um, but well, he has fought fighting, Andre Harrison, has a draw against him. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Um, he's fighting Lazar Stoyadinovich, who is a more established veteran against people that I know. <laughs> um, I've seen him fight a couple times. I, I used to like there was a, there was a time period where I watched like all the LFA events, and he fought on there at, at least once, maybe it was just once. Maybe I watched the only time he was on. Um, yeah, Mike Richman. Yeah, he he, uh, he got knocked out by Tom Lee on the Contender Series and uh, t- by Erwin Rivera in Titan FC, who was uh, had some some rough times Issues. recently. Um, but yeah, he he's beat basically everyone else besides like the people who were good. <laughs> uh, once he got into his uh, his rhythm, so I guess we'll see. But I'm pretty sure he's a he's a boxer, and mostly uh, despite the flying knee, pretty sure he's a wrestler. I mean, kind of thing you can assume <laughs> by, by someone being Dagestani. Uh, they're usually wrestlers, so I don't know. I haven't watched him fight other than the, the flying knee, but he seems to have a lot of submissions. So um, that is not his first flying knee knockout. That's funny. Oh he's yeah, done it he before. has. Fight Nights Global 41, so that's cool. There's a lot of elbows, punches, so might be a wrestler. The top two fights in the card are people we know more about, so that's good. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) Uh, So, yeah, the second-to-last fight, Natan Schultz, who uh, I think it was Julian who made a video on him, right? He did, yeah. Uh, Versus Martin Held, who I think up to now has been spending his time in ACA. Uh, Got a couple of nice leg lock victories. So, yeah, it was an ACA. Uh, Beat Diego Brandau. Uh, heel hooked Musa Kamanayev and Callan Potter, um, so decent record. Uh, he didn't actually beat Nasrat, so he was in the UFC for a while. Uh, but he spent a lot of time laying on Nasrat Hackbrast, and uh, Hackbrast actually kind of beat his ass on the feet. So I mean, it's Nasrat, so not a huge deal. But that that is something that happened. But they gave Held the win, win, right? Yeah, they gave uh, Held the win. So that's good. Tough, but, uh, you know, fairly decent fighter. Very grappling-focused. Likes the leg locks a lot. Uh, Natan Schultz robbed Rashid Magomedov. That's pretty he much the, that's the big thing on him. Uh, he's a, a pretty solid fighter otherwise, but, you know, who is good compared to Rashid? Yeah, he's on, he's on a really solid win streak. Uh, he beat Chris Wade twice. He beat, beat Rashid. Not really. Yeah. Uh, Jesse Ronson gave him kind of a tough fight, which is like, oh, that's embarrassing. Um, <laughs> I actually think Jesse Ronson's kind of decent. He's okay. Or, he beat or he was Delby last time I watched him, but that was a few years ago. Yeah. 
<laughs> but uh, yeah, Ramsey and a gem, probably not really that decent these days. Uh, to leave. I keep saying he's good, but I don't really know. And uh, Rajabov, who I also said is good, but I don't really know. Uh, but Marcin Held's a good test, but not really for Schultz, because we already knew he was a good grappler and wrestler. Yeah. Uh, so it's like, is he good enough to not get leg locked? That's kind of the, what the question is here. Yeah, I mean, um, Held looks reasonably potent from those entanglements. It's just tough to see him getting there that much, because he doesn't look like the best wrestler out there. And uh, in a lot of positions, he's kind of just inert. So I don't know if he can create those sorts of scrambles. Yeah. Uh, for instance, against, actually kind of a decent striker too, right? He, you know, has I mean, good like punching in the tie-ups and punching out of the tie-ups and low kicking. And um, based on Julian's video, it looks like he's like gaichi in slow motion. Yeah, he looks annoying to deal with in terms of just you know not getting pushed to the fence and grapple, which is something that a lot of grapplers would be better to develop. For sure. And then the main event makes no sense. Yeah, I don't. Until get you it. see just who one half of it is. You're like, okay, this is entirely a. A one-man main event. <laughs> I mean, it's... Are you giving Clay Collard a chance to upset Anthony Pettis? Not really. I think Pettis has been looking pretty solid recently. Not necessarily good, because, you know, compared to his prime, he was a lot of uh, athletic kickiness, and he settled into being a, a solid counterpuncher now. Um, he did a lot of counterpunching stuff against Donald Cerrone, for instance, where he was able to, like, walk his blitzes onto shots, and... Um, he did spinning heel kick Alex Morona, but a lot of that fight was counterpunching anyway. Uh, Clay Collard, was he the one who went into boxing and did weirdly well? He had like a dozen boxing matches after he uh, stopped doing MMA. Yeah, I remember people called him like the fighter of the year in boxing for a little bit because he went on like a five or six win streak. Yeah. Um, and, you know, he was, he uh, disproved boxing compared to MMA. But <laughs> he's a pretty solid fighter. He got... Uh, he did lose to Max Holloway back in the day, which is probably like his uh, biggest claim to fame. But um, other than that, yeah, I don't really know a ton about Clay Collard's game. Anthony Pettis, though, he's pretty reliable at this stage in his career to just do his thing uh, until he just completely goes athletically. But even then, he's built a skill set that means that if he's like somewhat gone, he can still manage fights, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of the Shogun evolution, right? Like, There's a reason Shogun's still hanging around the top because he went from being super athletic and fighting in a super athletic way to being kind of athletic and falling apart, but fighting in a way that kind of allows him to do that. Um, so I think it's going to be interesting to see Pettis' career because uh, we talked about this earlier, but he's become relatively underrated in his prime, and he's turning that into a solid post-prime career. Yeah, I feel like if you've had that many pro boxing matches, you, you should be able to pressure box, right? Hopefully. So he should at least be able to give Pettis looks that have bothered him in the past but i also think that if you're not really the superior wrestler he doesn't care as much if you're going to push him back in the situations and also he has a bit of an offensive wrestling grappling game himself so i wouldn't be shocked if he took lake Collard down and, and subbed him or if if they end up on the ground in some situation he subs him because uh, i mean that that advantage is even more pronounced than his advantage on, on the feet and i also think he's bigger uh, Collard fought at featherweight for a decent amount of time so um, versus Pettis who mistakenly had that one <laughs> featherweight fight um, but yeah it, it's, it's definitely a showcase for Pettis uh, say look we have Anthony Pettis and he'll you know, get a big finish and they can post it and we'll say ha ah, look we have him um, so that, that'll be cool for them but yeah I'm more interested in the Palmer Jenkins fight uh, just to see what happens with, with Schulte and Hell to see what these other guys are like 
just because I, I definitely was less invested last season than I was the season before that. Uh, but I'll try to be more invested this time because they got a bunch of uh, cool Russian and Russian adjacent people, and they are they are typically good fighters. So I wanna I wanna see. Yeah, I'm mostly here for Shaman, but. Hell yeah, yeah. I didn't even mention Shaman. Damn, I'm too nervous. I don't want to focus on it. I just wanted to win. That's be true. happy. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it looks like a it's a deeper card than I'd expect from an outside the UFC promotion at this point, since the UFC itself is kind of failing to put on good cards. So. They're dropping the ball, man. Yeah, and that brings us to the next pay-per-view, which is uh, three title fights, and I'm not really sure how to feel about it overall as like a complete product, because I'm not super excited for it. I don't know whether I'm alone in that. Um, no, I'm not excited for it. Yeah. I, I honestly, it's going to sound terrible, I don't care about any of those fights very deeply pretty much like i think it's really hard to come up with a worse three title fight card that doesn't involve amanda nunez in some fashion because like you know she's in the wor- it's not her fault really but like she's you in the would two prefer to divisions. have amanda nunez yeah. on this card well that's that's why the caveat right it's tough to find one that isn't amanda nunez i um, see but yeah the, the main event is in a decent division but the title fight makes no sense uh two Okay, so Whaley versus Rose is probably going to be fun, but I'm also not sure there's a ton to talk about, just because it seems kind of academic after a point. Uh, the rest of the card has been built like uh, average three title fight card, which tend to have three really good title fights, and not three kind of mad title fights. Uh, so I guess we'll start with the main event, Kamaru Usman versus Jorge Masvidal. Uh, you mentioned at the beginning that uh, you did a resume review on Usman. So I did. I'll, yeah. Uh, what did you see in the Usman-Masvidal fight that... Uh, can be carried forward into this one. Well, I liked Masvidal's approach overall. He came out super hot, uh, yep. kicking both sides, very aggressive with, with the kicking, uh, both open side and closed side. Um, you know, punching off his kicks, just uh, you know, making sure to, to build his combinations together, which is something that Colby Covington actually did pretty decently. When he did land, he built off of it well, yeah. uh, and it was that variety of striking that kind of allowed him to to get some success going. Uh, things that were good, definitely that. Um, I liked the way that he you know, made it difficult to clinch him. You know, when they did end up in those situations, the way he was framing off, fighting hands, um, that that was very good elbowing. Uh, the way he was boxing in the pocket was pretty nice for the most part when they ended up in those exchanges. Uh, the way he was slipping Usman straights, the way he was you know check hooking, that stuff is pretty good. The uh, the snap kick to the body was was mostly good. Um, there there was a lot of stuff that he did that was that was pretty decent. Um, what wasn't good was he he definitely slowed down pretty quickly. Uh, you know, a little over a round, he was definitely noticeably slower, and that's kind of where he ended up for the rest of the fight. And it limited his options, limited what he was able to do. Um, and I think, you know, the more tired he got, the easier it became to make him back up uh, because he... Usman is someone that's really, really comfortable letting you lead. Um, he will let you dictate when exchanges are happening and just kind of take what, he, what you give him a lot of the time, which is frustrating because he sh- should be a more concentrated pressure fighter uh, yep. since his best area is offensively against the cage and he should want to get there as soon as possible, as often as possible. But he doesn't a lot of the time. And I don't think Trevor Whit- being with Trevor Whitman is going to make him do it more, probably less. Yep. Um, so he was hanging back, letting Masvidal do his thing, but... Uh, Masvidal was realizing that Usman was initiating a lot of what he likes off of Masvidal's offense, so he was kind of hanging back, 
letting Usman uh, try to close in and so he could counter him uh, or like catch underhooks or do something like that. So later on in the fight, th- there's a point where, where they kind of where it kind of breaks a bit and Masvidal gets tired and Usman has a lot of success and uh, Masvidal makes the adjustment of doing a lot less and just trying to receive him and, and just trying to deal with it and that actually ends up going a bit better for him for a little bit and then it stops working and he gets grappled again. But um, with with a better gas tank you can expect it to be a bit better with a full camp right um he should be able to stick to that original approach a little bit more have more confidence to keep it up to get with the volume to really uh, uh tee off on him also i think he'll be a i mean he had the same success with counters that the gilbert burns did just uh you know more spaced apart and not the same impact but he hit that overhand counter he was hitting a, a lot of the counters the only thing that wasn't really there with the level intercepting strikes. I mentioned he did the snap kick to the body a little bit. Not much, though. No, no really uppercuts to be seen. I thought that would be a really nice weapon for him, considering that Usman's defense involves a lot of dipping um, yeah. and not really the smart kind. Um, <laughs> it's just, you know what I mean? I think he looks really uncomfortable in the pocket a lot and ends up dropping his head. Um, he, he was trying to knee a, a good bit, but he just didn't really have the distance for it. Um, so I thought he had a lot of good ideas in that fight. He kept it competitive. He did fine in those situations, like when they were clinching, when they were wrestling and, and such. He did fine, but he just not he's not good. There's no one. There's really no one in the division who's good enough to keep ending up in those situations with Usman and, and end up having time to win the fight. Otherwise, you have to stop him from putting you there in the first place, which is easier said than done, but it's also not as hard as some of them make it, considering <laughs> that he, he doesn't push it there that intentionally against everybody. Um, it varies, so who knows? You know, maybe this one will do things differently this time. Maybe he'll be more insistent on leading. Maybe that'll open things up more for Masvidal on the counter. Uh, there's a lot that I could see changing, but I think the the general, the core theme of how Usman won, is not going to be any different. Is that he he can definitely hold him on the cage, um, and he can definitely take him down a few times and have a lot of success on top. Um, that 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 won't change with a full training camp. So uh, Masvidal is going to have to really make it a point to extend the amount of time that he has on the feet uh, and get as much done as possible in that time. Um, and that's kind of where anti-wrestling comes into, into play, right? You need to do things that make it difficult to, to wrestle you, to, to close distance, to you know, get a hold of you, to, to take the attacks that you like. You have to stop those things. So that's not something that Masvidal did really at all. In the first fight, he just kind of was good in the exchanges and then didn't really, wasn't that intentional about his place in, in, in the cage, his ring craft. And in the situations, he wasn't even that insistent on, on creating breaks. Um, there, there were th- definitely room for improvement in those clinch situations as well. I didn't think he was doing as good as he could have. Um, for example, Usman, uh, he has this little system where he'll get, like, he'll, he'll be pressing in with his left side of his hip. He'll have a left side underhook, and uh, with his right arm, he'll like he'll change what he's doing. But but most of the pressure against the cage is coming from that left underhook and that right side, that left side, and he's you know, using his chest pressure, pressure, his shoulder pressure, sometimes head pressure underneath the chin, uh, to just use that one side of the body to pin you. Uh, and and his right side of his hips is a little bit there's a little bit of space there, um, so he'll have like you'll have an underhook or something like that, and he'll punch under the underhook. That's like that position he had against Woodley a lot. Um, he's really good there. He must be stupid, heavy, and strong uh, for that to work because that's not a super solid position. He just kind of blocks the hips with his left hand, um, and 
when fighters do try to pummel inside of that space and you know try to get double underhooks or something like that that's when he uh, he presses in squares up his hips and presses his hips straight in and uh, and it holds you straight against the cage and i think one of the main reasons that he is able to do that and and not really have to do anything else and, and open up the positions a bit more is because of the knees the legs and the foot stomps which people obviously talk about in more of a joking manner but that's offense and that really allows him to make those into scoring positions and something that one doesn't need to be broken up and two something that can be actually be considered uh, winning. So in those situations, Masvidal was kind of confused. Um, <laughs> he was underhooking that. Uh, he was uh, wizarding on that, uh, that under, underhook side, but a wizard in that position is more about making sure they can stand tall. And you can use that wizard to make sure that they can't do anything on that side. Um, so you could like, use the collar tie and pull them uh, to angle them toward that uh, that right side and uh, escape out the wizard side. That's something that Leon Edwards did to Kamaru Usman. Uh, so you can do that. RDA did that to Colby Covington a lot. Um, you could do that, or you could just, you know, let go of the wizard and, and pummel in your underhook because he's not working to anything off of that underhook. He's holding it, and there's a lot of space. So if you're more urgent about pummeling in there, I think you can get double underhooks on him and, and – and make something happen there but he's just he has a good sense of when when to switch up the type of pressure and and transition to a new position and he doesn't really care if you get double underhooks on him either but at least you can get him off the cage and and create some sort of space between you and the cage um so i thought there were a number of things he could have done better but uh yeah just it seems like too big of a gap to close in, in those situations and i just don't think that usman is the type to easily be exploited. Like, you need a lot more success to take the fight from him. You don't need to just fix a few little things and, and get a, a few more clean strikes in on him because his head is a rock. Um, he's really, really hard to hurt, uh, really hard to knock out. Seems like he can tank shots basically everywhere. Um, and and his, uh, his, like, shell guard, it, it, it covers a lot. It's very hard to hit him clean in the first place. So um, if you're not countering him necessarily, it's going to be tough. And you, you just need, it's it's just too much. It's too much to expect. Um, am I completely rolling it out? No, but it just doesn't seem possible to escape <laughs> being wrestled and grappled in this fight. Yeah, I'm in the same place. I think a lot of, so you covered basically everything. Uh, I don't, Thanks. Yeah, I don't have too many wrestling raids, and if I did, you probably took them. Uh, but I have a monopoly on the wrestling raids. Well, I mean, it makes sense. You are the smart wrestling person. No. Uh, uh, yeah, I think the issue with fighting Usman generally is that you can win a couple battles, but the war is pretty much always going to be his. Um, and to prevent that, you need really, really strong ring craft for one, uh, and you need to be able to keep up the kind of pace that Mas or, or you need to be able to keep up the kind of pace that Masvidal and Burns did for the entire fight. And that's pretty much impossible, right? Like, you need to be actively hitting Usman in a lot of positions to be backing him off and getting him off his game. Um, right. Usman is going to start, like, he's pretty vulnerable off his own jab, which is something that you mentioned, that if you aren't countering him, he's reasonably tough to hit, but on the counter, he's reasonably vulnerable. Um, there's been some talk going around about Usman having, like, a top 10 jab in the sport, or, like, a top 1 jab is one thing that I've heard. Uh, I don't really think that's true. He has learned how to uh, kind of modulate the jab a little bit. We saw that in the Burns fight, where he can, like, jab on the counter and start fainting and draw reactions, uh, and, you know, build off that with that pull counter heat on Burns. But generally, Usman isn't the most comfortable guy out there striking. 
Um, and his reactions kind of proved that, and I think that made the Burns fight and the Masvidal fight look a little bit worse than they were for him early. But Masvidal did take that first round, and he took it with just pure urgency. Uh, as you mentioned, a lot of kicking, a lot of punching off the kicks. Uh, Usman pressured early, but also couldn't really get uh, Masvidal on the fence without Masvidal just going mad in the pocket and hitting him a lot. Uh, but that's the issue, is that Masvidal could like win those certain battles there, but anytime he was against the fence, he was pretty much losing the fight because the ring position is probably what's going to dictate the fight against such a monstrously strong, committed, uh, skilled clinch wrestler. And mm-hmm. Masvidal didn't spend a ton of time on the bottom, which again proves that you can keep Usman from a certain component of his game. He's just pretty much always going to win if he's in control of the fight. And that's... I don't know if Masvidal can change that. He can get stronger in the clinch, if that makes sense. He can you know, come up with the tricks to keep Usman from holding him there for too long. He can continue to use that. Masvidal is a reasonably strong wrestler to start with. We saw that in like the Maya fight, and he's strong from the bottom. We also saw that in the Maya fight. But it's going to take a little bit more than just engaging Usman in his area to beat him. And I don't mm-hmm. know if, like, that's the worry I have with Leon Edwards too, right? Like, Leon Edwards is an incredibly strong clincher. He's a good wrestler. And the issue is that if he's going to concede the clinch, I don't know if there's anyone who can beat Usman in those sorts of situations where, you know, short of just, like, completely doming him with an elbow and keeping him away from the clinch for the rest of the fight, which is hard to do because, as you mentioned, he's super durable. It's just not a place where winning a battle turns into winning the fight. And someone needs to control the narrative against Usman to win the fight. Uh, I don't see Masvidal gaining those skills without any fights in between in about, what, it's been, like, eight or nine months since that fight. I don't really see it. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be tough. It's going to be uphill for him. Uh, too. It, it's just unfair. It's unfair beating Kamaru Usman. You, you have to have... You just have to be a fighter that this division doesn't really have. Um, yeah. If you're just going to be like a regular type of, type of striker. But, uh, you know, just projecting into the future, I think Leon can give him a good go. I think it's similar issues, like you said, to, to Masvidal. Um, different fight, but similar issues. And uh, Wonder Boy is actually somehow the most interesting fight for him in the division. Uh, just because he is different. And he he can actually exploit a lot of the things that Usman does wrong, but he's also older, and Jeff Neal did push him back to the cage a lot, and that's not good. Um, So I fear, I fear for this division. Uh, Can they they stop Usman from doing the same exact thing to everyone? Uh, Probably not. (laughs) Yeah, I think Wonderboy has the ring, uh, because I mentioned earlier that the ring craft is probably the most important thing to dictate with Usman, and Wonderboy definitely has that. Uh, but the issue is knowing whether he has the rest of the stuff that you might need if you end up in the worst-case scenario with Usman. And right. the other issue is that, for all we've talked about Usman's clinch wrestling and against the fence, he's really good in open space as well. Uh, we've seen him get in on those that's and push problem, guys to yeah. the fence. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's, I can, that's single as a cheat code. Yeah, I could see someone like Wonderboy just keeping off the fence and you know not getting cage wrestled by Usman that often and just getting single leg and put on his butt anyway. It's a tricky fight for anybody. I think I'd expect Leon to consistently give him uh, a lot of pushback in the areas where Usman's good, but I'm not sure whether he can keep Usman out of those areas. The reason that I'm not sure, like a couple months ago, I was like, oh, Usman's probably just going to clinch him. Uh, we saw against Bilal, which isn't the best competition necessarily, but you know, we saw Leon try to make improvements in terms of ring position. He started taking the front foot a little bit more. Uh, started angling off a little bit more urgently when Bilal made his entrance off the jab, which I think is reasonably uh, important against Usman, whose main pressuring tool has been the jab. But 
it's just also not something we've seen against a, someone with the pressure footwork of Usman, someone who can just, if you get close to the fence, he can just grab you and shove you back to the fence. So it's a tough fight. Yeah, I don't see anyone beating him. I think there are fights that are going to make him look a little bit more vulnerable than he is, like Gilbert Burns did, but he's not particularly vulnerable. Mm-hmm. The more Usman seems interested in the idea of countering and not pressuring forward a lot, the the better I think Leon can do. Definitely. Um, but I, I just don't. It's it's so hard to predict with him. Uh, the co-main event is probably one of the best fights you can make in women's MMA at this point. Yeah. Uh, Zhang Weili, the champion, versus uh, Rose Namajunas. Uh, it's weird because. There hasn't been that much that's happened with Rose since the Ioana fights. I mean, the Ioana fights happened. She got knocked out by Andrade. Then she had the rematch with Andrade, which looked very similar to the first fight. She just held on a little bit longer and didn't get slammed on her head. Um, but, like, the same weaknesses were there. Like, it was very similar. Um, and Andrade just kind of looked like she slowed down a little bit as well and isn't quite as monstrous physically as she was. A little bit before, probably getting knocked out by Zhang Weili didn't help with that. Um, we'll talk about Andrade a little bit more, I, I assume. Um, but Zhang Weili has had her whole UFC career, basically, in that time, um, <laughs> since 2018. Uh, beat, beat a couple of people who aren't very good. Uh, beat Tisha Torres, who, you know, isn't Solid. Yeah. that good either. But for the division, she's, she's a good test. Um, and then she knocked out Andrade, and then she beat Ioana Jacek, so... Let's talk about that fight, uh, Weili versus Ioana. What What are your, your main takeaways uh, about Weili as a fighter, strengths and weaknesses from that performance? Uh, so from there, I remember a lot of the fight was uh, Zhang Weili figuring out the pocket, which was pretty impressive because you don't tend to see fighters. Like, a lot of women's MMA is just people uh, doing the same thing over and over. And Zhang Weili did figure out the left hook in that fight really nicely, where... Um, Yoni and Jacek had a little bit of success going southpaw and kicking her, which I don't think is something that Rose Namajunas is particularly prone to doing. But aside from that, young Zhang Weili did a lot of great work in the pocket, weaving into the left hook, and that was most of the fight. I think a lot of the stuff that we learned about Weili from that fight was um, just conditioning and being able to keep that pace for the entire fight, which is something that people struggle with a lot with Yoana. Um, it's actually kind of an outlier with Rose, too, that she was able to hold a five-round fight with Joanna when she's faded quicker before. But uh, that aside, I think it was a pretty promising performance for Whaley because before that, we only saw her knock out Andrade in, like, 30 seconds. So, uh, yeah, it was, a, it was a cool fight. I don't know if it proved a ton about Whaley that we haven't seen before outside of the physical attributes, but I think it's going to be enough to beat Rose Namajunas. Mm-hmm. I mean, something that kind of jumped out to me, like I, I, I saw the, I saw the discourse on Twitter, and you know, just how people are talking about it, and everyone kind of seems to be picking Whaley, um, because she presents similar issues that Andrade did for her in the most recent fight, and just seems to be a more competent generally than Andrade, and uh, should be fine to, to pressure her and uh, break her down over, over time. I, I think that's generally the sentiment. Uh, the, the. Tell me about the the boxing exchanges with Joanna and and Zhang Weili. Like, was Joanna boxing her up? Was she kicking her up? Like, how? Where was she finding her success? I don't remember that fight at all. I've seen it once. Yeah, I've also I rewatched it like a couple weeks ago, and this fight was announced, but I haven't seen it since then. Um, I think Weili was struggling mostly with the southpaw kicking. Okay. Uh, 
which was where Joanna, I think, got her most decisive round. But aside from that, it was a pretty competitive pocket fight all around. She's not the best defensively. Joanna was having success jabbing and straighting. But aside from that, like the closer exchanges in terms of like, you know, in terms of distance, uh, when they were actually in the pocket fighting, Zhang Weili had a really clear mechanical advantage, which is one place that Joanna's always struggled. So, you know, when she gets on the inside, a lot of her punching is just to set up the kicks on the exit. Uh, mm -hmm. where she, you know, kind of flap around on the guard and then kick on the exit. She did that to um, Jessica Andrash herself a lot. So I don't really know if... Because that's one place where Nami Yunus has a very decided advantage over Yolanda, right? right? That's kind of where, where I'm going with that. Yeah, where Nami Yunus, her left hook especially, is one of the cleaner shots that you'll find in women's MMA, perhaps the cleanest, uh, where she's, you know... There's a reason that she hurt Andrash so seriously in the first Andrash fight so early. Uh, she's got a really nice counter left hook. It's not as strong tactically as it is mechanically, but mechanically it's very good. And um, I think the exchanges are going to be tricky for Whaley early. The issue for Rose, I think, for this fight is that we've seen Whaley be incredibly durable and be very, right. like, hold a hard pace for five full rounds. Right. And um, Rose hasn't been quite as reliable. As I mentioned, the Yoana rematch was a pretty decent. Uh, deviation from them, but even there, right, Joanna was able to take over in like three and four, I believe, and uh, start putting some volume on her, and in general, Whaley seems like a much bigger physical threat in terms of, you know, just imposing herself uh, in the clinch, and imposing herself in the pocket, dealing harder shots generally, and probably not being put off as hard by uh, Rose's counters, so, I don't know, it's a it's an interesting fight, but I think Rose's window ends around the seventh or eighth minute. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just uh, this strong Wei Li being very physically strong and having a good style to challenge Rose. And even if she is losing those exchanges early, it'll definitely start tipping her way. And, and like you said, she's durable, so that should help her a lot. Um, even if she's not doing 100% as well as she could be early on. And uh, with regard to like being wrestled or grappled, Rose isn't really that reliable of a wrestler yeah. uh, getting fights to the ground. And I, I think that she does have a problem with physical strength in this division. And that John Whaley is one of the best athletes to ever fight at the weight. Um, so yeah, I, I think it's a tough matchup for her as well. Um, this it's it's funny seeing everyone to, agreeing with it, and then I have to think about it for myself to see how how we got there. Uh, but yeah, I agree, and I think uh, people are also there might be some degree of bias because people are rooting against her now because she uh, the thing uh, she China. hates communism. And we all love communism, obviously. Um, <laughs> that's not why. But, yeah, I just she, she rubbed people the wrong way because obviously Zhang Weili has no control over whether she's Chinese or not. And Rose said, I must destroy her because she is Chinese and China represents communism and communism was bad for Lithuania and it's, it all, it's all connected, trust me. Um, that's kind of the, the, the situation. That's my summary of a very complicated issue. Yeah, it's basically just a Vietnam flashback, so it's it's tough to... It's unfortunate. Yeah. Pretty yeah, much nothing but... to do with the fight, but, you know, still fun to talk <laughs> about. Um, third fight from the top, Valentina Shevchenko versus Jessica Andrade. Um, I think, I've seen people consider this a pretty interesting fight for Shevchenko. I'm not completely sure I see it. Um, Andrade is definitely physically closer to Shevchenko than a lot of the people that Shevchenko has been fighting recently. You know, Jessica I, Caitlin Chukagian, those aren't super imposing fighters where Andrade, that's her entire game. I think the footwork difference is going to be a pretty big problem, though, for Andrade. And physical parity isn't something that Andrade herself has had to deal with particularly often. Do you agree? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. Uh, if you think about, like, really good athletes that she's fought, or, like, really strong athletes that she's fought, um, Claudia Gadelia <laughs> for, yeah. for Andrade, 
and she threw her around. But also, Cadelia was, that's an interesting fight. Uh, she was boxing her up really early, and then she gassed out from boxing her up, and then uh, Andros threw her around and beat the crap out of her. I mean, that's also chronic Gadelia athletic limitation. Yeah, because she, she so. gassed so badly. Yeah. I mean, other athletes that she's fought, it's, it's kind of it, man. I mean, you want to be a fine athlete, but also kind of lost. Yeah, so. it's really Zhang Weili. Um, and, and Joanna is like a good endurance athlete, but not super strong. Yeah. Uh, she's got that wiry strength, but she's not like a, a, a real... Uh, she's not going to throw people around. She's not a real compact athlete that can, can compete in those same situations with Andrade. So, yeah, it's it's a weird fight because I talked about this on Wrestling for MMA. I honestly think that offensive wrestling is one of the greatest strengths of both of their games. And people don't really think about them that way. But uh, for Andrade, it's mostly just because she can, with her crazy, hooky pressure style, she gets people to the cage a lot, and she just needs to get to a single, and she's strong enough that she can lift for finishes on, on basically any situation, um, which is, a, again, a cheat code. Um, but, you know, it works. If it works, it works. Um, you can usually finish a takedown if you can lift on the leg. Uh, you'll get tired, but if you don't get tired, then you can do it forever. Uh, whereas Shevchenko has a more, like, uh, Muay Thai, sweep, dumpy, uh, type of takedown game. It's kind of like a Sanda takedown game as well, as well, even though that's not her background, but it reminds me more of Sanda than Muay Thai, but uh, really good at catching kicks uh, and, and sweeping people off of that. Uh, really good at getting these intercepting body locks and, you know, hitting blocks and, and, and sweeps off of that. And, uh, yeah, she's just, she's solid. She's solid in those reactive takedown situations. Uh, not really like a leg attacker or a traditional wrestler, but good upper body. And uh, she's, she's taking down everybody. She's fought, pretty much, uh, besides Jessica I, who she knocked out. Um, so that's definitely her biggest strength, and I think her biggest weakness is defensive wrestling. Um, so Andrade, I can't really think of anyone who tried to wrestle her. Um, I'm not sure if it's happened um, against anybody who is a wrestler. Yeah, so, I mean, they've tried to wrestle her, but then gotten into guillotines because they were panicking under the, um, the hook flurries. I think that's how she tapped out a different Hollywood. Jessica. Yeah. yeah, and also a different Jessica. Penne? <laughs> yeah, I'm looking at her record now. I remember it was Jessica versus Jessica at one of these events. Yeah, Jessica Penne. All right, so it, I'm very curious as to, because I think Andrade even said that she thinks wrestling is, is Shevchenko's weakness and she's going to take her down. Um, so I'm like, yeah, try it. <laughs> I want to see her try it, but like getting, she's, I, I don't think she's going to take her down in space. Um, if she does, that'll be interesting, but I, I think she's going to try to push her to the cage and do it there, because that's what Jennifer Maya did, which is so embarrassing. Um, it's really, Im- honestly, it it's is, really it's embarrassing. Um, but I think she's going to try to do that, but uh, I think Shevchenko's going to be much more comfortable in this fight than, than other fights, where she knows this person really just wants to bulldoze forward, and she knows her strike selection, she knows basically everything she's going to do, and she'll be much more comfortable on the counter and the back foot. Um it might be kind of like a Yolanda situation where she really just cannot get her back going backwards because it's just so easy to predict her and counter her and, and get back to the center. Um, but, you know, if she does overwhelm her and, and chin-bully her way into those situations and get to the legs, we'll see. Uh, we'll see if she puts her on her back and how that goes. Um, that, that could be interesting, but I also think that because her forward pressure will be so predictable, it also opens up those takedowns for Shevchenko. So I, I think wrestling could be a big factor here. Yeah, I think the wrestling would be a bigger factor if the ring craft wasn't so lopsided. Um, yeah. 
Yeah, I think it'd be interesting if Andros can get it on a takedown entry and just like push it to the fence. But as we mentioned, the physical strength isn't too far off. And if Valentina Shevchenko can like pull her up to upper body, that might be a big issue for Andros. But other than that, I think it's a decent issue for Andros to reliably get people moving back to the fence. Uh, a lot of her, even her finishers, are just chasing after people as they're running around without really trying mm -hmm. to cut the cage off. Um, and Shevchenko is one of the stronger ring generals in women's MMA. Uh, she's very aware of where she is on the back foot. She can check hook and pivot off. And I think that's probably what the fight looks like if um, Andrade doesn't push the wrestling too hard and like end up on bottom or something. Uh, Shevchenko's probably just going to try to dictate it on the feet, start counter-punching and moving offline. Uh, I don't think Shevchenko is like as active moving around as Joanna is, but she's also a bit more of a power threat. And yeah. um, we have seen Andrade... Like, the funny thing with Andrade Rose 2 was Andrade pretending to have actual head movement, but just kind of moving her head around in open yeah. space. Yeah, it was that Cain Velasquez head movement. <laughs> yeah, like, it, it wasn't even, like, after she got hit. It was just moving around when nothing was happening. It was just inefficient and kind of weird to see. Um, it, like, it didn't actually help her not get hit, if that makes sense. The thing that helped mm -hmm. her not get hit was Rose gassing out in the third and conceding the, um, her positioning on the back foot a bit more than she usually does. Right. But... Yeah, I don't think that's going to help if uh, Shevchenko's countering on her entries. Uh, I think it's a tricky fight for Andrade if she can't actually get a pressure game going, and I don't think she ever has. So. Mm -hmm. um, so this is weird, but Chris Weidman and Uriah Hall are having a rematch, and I guess it's the right time. It's, Pretty it's, much. It makes sense as far as matchmaking goes. It's just like, we really doing this? Really yeah. still doing this Chris Weidman thing, but you know, if you look at his record, it doesn't seem that wild. But if you watch his last fight, you're it like, oh wild. no, no, we should be done with him. <laughs> yeah, I mean, even the Gaslam protect him. The Gaslam one hasn't aged super well. Um, the Souza loss has aged kind of terribly, and yeah, the Akhmedov win was kind of awful. Akhmedov, uh, I think Akhmedov body punched him a bunch in round two. Uh, kind of beat him up on the feet to a 10-8, and then Weidman just managed to get on top and 10-8 him in round three, but, you know, trading 10-8 with Omari Akhmedov is not the sign of an elite middleweight. Right. Uh, Uriah Hall, you know, good news for Weidman, is not an elite middleweight, but uh, he's becoming a little bit more reliable in terms of volume. We've seen him develop a jab that's not great, but not terrible. Uh, it's pretty snappy. He, can, he relies on it uh, reasonably well in terms of, like, dealing damage. It's just not something that's, like, granular and gives him edges and exchanges. Uh, he kept Paulo Costa at bay with it. He was able to jab up. I think it was um, Carlos Jr. Uh, who mm -hmm. he dropped with either a jab or a straight, but he's improving his boxing a little bit. Uh, he counterpunched Anderson Silva for the finish. I don't know if this is a fight that favors Weidman at this point, just because athletically, I don't know where he is. Um, and by that, I mean he's not in a good place from everything I've seen lately. <laughs> uh, his durability has been a concern for a long, long time. Uh, and it's even more of a concern now because uh, he got hurt a couple times by Akhmedov. Uh, he went up to light heavyweight and got killed. He got killed at middleweight before that about four times in a row. Um, yeah, it's a weird fight. I think Weidman wins the minutes just because in his prime, Weidman was one of the more reliable minute winners in the sport. Uh, solid pressure game, decent offensive boxing, still bad at defensive boxing, but you know, it didn't really matter when he was able to put guys in the back foot and threaten the wrestling. Uh, how's Hall's wrestling? Do you know? Um, he can do it, but he puts himself in pretty tough positions sometimes, so, um, and his ring craft isn't very good, so, you know, that, that usually, uh, makes it harder to be a good wrestler defensively in yeah. MMA, but remember that, uh, Weidman is in 
South Carolina or whichever Carolina it is training with Wonderboy, um, and he's been trying to Wonderboy up his game. Uh, so in that Ahmedov fight, you saw he was trying to be Karate Weidman, and that is this is like the worst person to be like that against, honestly. Because if you try to do like try to you know not have to rely on pressure, because when you rely on pressure, you put yourself in the line of fire a lot more often, which is what happened against Dominic Reyes. I think he wants to not have to do that anymore. This is his veteran adaptation. I think against other people that could work, uh, you know, be be karate guy until you can get into your wrestling situations and, and just be a grappler, which has always been the best part of his game, um, his top game. But, uh, yeah, it's just like if you are if you need to, you know, kill time uh, and survive for, for stretches and, and score uh, by being a mid-range kickboxer against your Iowa Hall and your durability is suspicious, then that, that could be rough. Um, yeah. Hall's got some really nasty counters, uh, not all the time, but uh, sometimes, and <laughs> I, I think sometimes might be enough here, but we'll see. We'll see how insistent uh, Weidman is on getting to wrestling grappling situations, and uh, we'll see if the small cage, it's going to be small cage, right? Uh, I think it's Or is this in an arena? This is in Florida? Oh, yeah, that's true. This is in oh, the... it's, it's probably it's probably a big cage then. Yeah. That's good for Hall. That's true. I mean, the first fight between Weidman and Hall, I think, goes on the regionals. Uh, Weidman knocked him out with a left hook circling around, which does support what you said, that pressure is a better way to deal with Hall than just floating around on the outside. Um, mm-hmm. And it's better both in terms of the boxing and the wrestling, right? Like, Weidman could just ride out long periods of the fight on the fence, even if he can't really take him down. Um, we have seen Hall get knocked out on the bottom for, uh, by uh, the gigard Musasi rematch, but uh, Musasi does show that even if you're better, you can't necessarily hang out at range with Hall. And uh, I don't really know if Weidman's better at this point. Another interesting point is that Weidman hasn't really had to deal with a lot of uh, orthodox opponents. Uh, he hasn't really done super well with them. Uh, Musazi jabbed him up, and that's one thing where like we haven't really seen Weidman have to deal with jabbers all that often, where mm-hmm. he could just hand fight. And uh, that hasn't worked out for him super well all the time either. We saw that with uh, Dominic Reyes and um, Yoel and Rockhold. But it's something that I think he'd be more comfortable with later in his career. And at this point, I think uh, a long jabber who can punch very hard is probably enough to cause him some issues. Yeah, seems reasonable to me. I'm not making a pick. I just, it's weird. I, I, I guess I favor Hall. Yeah, I'll go with Hall, but I don't feel comfortable about, about it at all. Um, uh, we're not going to talk about Anthony no. Smith's fight. Uh, I don't really want to talk about Alex Cowboy versus Randy Brown. Uh, no. I don't know who those people are. No, no. No, no to the rest no. of the card. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll, I'm gonna watch the fights, and after the fights, if if I see stuff that I like, like we can talk about it. But I just, I don't have enough information or interest to, to offer insight into any of those other fights. Um, you know what's funny though is we didn't talk about the one card that is happening right now as we speak. Oh, I mean, I guess that's tradition now since last time we did that too. Um, yeah, <laughs> it's a, I think it's tape delay. I'm not entirely sure. I think it's tape delay. Um, and they haven't updated their results yet, but it's happening right now. Uh, Yuya Wakamatsu and, and Reese McLaren uh, just fought. I don't, know if, I don't think they've announced it yet, but I thought Wakamatsu won, but they, I guess McLaren won. Um, weird, but yeah, that, know, that happened. That was uh, a Bantamweight fight, but uh, John Lineker is the main event. Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> I guess that'll happen in like five to ten minutes, but we don't need to stick around to see what happens there. We can talk about it next week, but I'm gonna watch that. Um, and yeah, that'll be that'll be the one update. They they're not really stacking these cards. Uh, yeah, they have kinda, a lot going on. 
at this point. Yeah, yeah, they're just, they're just trying to get volume, um, which is uh, that's an idea. But is Eddie Alvarez fighting again? Yeah, he's on the twenty eighth, I think. Next next weekend. Yeah. Is that what that is? Yeah, he's on the twenty eighth, and the fight announcement was like he's fighting X or Y, which was really right. Funny. The winner of Gafarov yeah. and and uh, other the other fella, but I think the fight happened. Yeah, on this card already, I, I think Gafarov. Well, I'm not sure though. Um, but yeah, there's another event. On the, uh, oh yeah, I see they added Alvarez to the poster uh, for nice. the 28th, but he's not on the official page yet, but it's uh, Ong, Ongla and Song, uh, Ongla Song, however it's pronounced, versus uh, Fatali Big Dash. I remember he fought uh, for their title a while ago. Uh, Rug Rug is fighting, I think that's how it's pronounced. Uh, Shinya Aoki is fighting a Foliang. I feel like he beat Foliang like six times. Um, <laughs> it might have just been once. He's beat him once. But it feels like they fought a bunch of times. But yeah, it seems like the onest matchup there's ever been. Yeah, he, he took him down, mounted him, and arm triangled him. I remember that very clearly. Nice. Um, See, so yeah, he's fighting him again, and at one seventy. Huh. Weird. Huh. Yeah, Foley fought Eddie Alvarez at one fifty five, like really short while ago. Yeah, but Aoki at one seventy. That's so weird. Yeah, that's. Um, I guess he's lanky, but uh, Sage Northcutt's sister is fighting. Cool. That's all I have to say about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that's I think that's it for now, right? Yeah, this has not been the most eventful week, um, but next week we'll have uh, this entire pay per view card to talk about. Uh, hopefully, Usman and Masvidal do some cool stuff, and uh, the card after that's actually not as bad, so we can talk about that. Cool. Uh, thanks for joining us, and again, sign up to the Patreon, visit the website, click on all the links there. Uh, keep up with the uh, top five greatest fights of all time. Those articles are going to be coming out on Mondays now, I think that's set. So, yeah, uh, that's it. Thank you.